You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, everyone from San Francisco. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Sunday, October 25th, and I'm very happy to be joined once again by fellow South Stands contributor, Paige Van Horn from Denver. PBH, what's the word in Denver? Well, it's snowing again, so, you know. Snowing. Yeah, we go go from, uh, you know, summer to winter. (laughs) We don't do seasons anymore. But yeah, it's like 10 degrees and snowy. Oh my God, wow. Pretty crazy. (laughs) Well, good stuff. All right, so we are here today, of course, to recap Ohio State's 52-17 to victory over Nebraska in Columbus yesterday. PVH, uh, that was only two points off of your score prediction. You you predicted 54-17 Ohio State. Nice work, my friend. I actually had Ohio State 52-24, so we were both pretty close. But man, you were like uh, only two points off. I mean, you, you've, you're developing some like prognostication <laughs> skills on this podcast, my friend. Uh, it's very impressive. Well, I, I should maybe start gambling then. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I should I. Not to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I need to start betting on your predictions. So, as we know, quarterback Justin Fields was nearly perfect, completing twenty of twenty-one passes for two hundred seventy-six yards and two touchdowns. Field also ran fifteen times for fifty yards. Fifty, pardon me, fifty-four yards and a touchdown. Now that was way too many rushing attempts, by the way. But we'll get to the Ohio State running game here shortly. Sophomore slot receiver Garrett Wilson was sensational, catching seven balls for 129 yards and a touchdown. Junior receiver Chris Olave, also very good, caught six passes for 104 yards, but had to leave the game in the third quarter with what looked like a concussion, leaving his status for next week's big clash with Penn State in doubt. We'll see. Hopefully he'll he'll be on the mend and can play next week. But it was freshman slot receiver. Jackson Smith and Jigba, who made the play of the game in the fourth quarter on a five-yard touchdown pass from Fields in the back of the end zone. That pass was initially ruled incomplete, but replayed showed Smith and Jigba got one foot down before landing out of bounds. That was an incredible catch, one of the best I've ever seen from an Ohio State receiver. On the other side of the ball, while they only surrendered 17 points and just three after halftime, the Buckeye defense looked a little shaky most of the day against a, let's face it, a one-dimensional Nebraska offense that really didn't want to throw the ball. Led primarily by quarterbacks Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey in the run game, the Huskers gashed the Buckeyes for 210 yards on the ground, averaging nearly six yards a carry. They scored two first-half touchdowns. Ohio State did force two fumbles, though, one each by Martinez and McCaffrey. The Martinez fumbled was returned for a third-quarter touchdown by seven banks, and I think it was pretty much the game ceiling play. There was really no coming back from that point no. uh, for Nebraska, right? Yeah. So not unexpectedly, Ohio State has some kinks to work out on that side of the ball, which we'll get into in a moment. Okay, PVH, to get us started, I want to get some high-level observations from you. Give me your initial impressions from what you saw yesterday. So I guess it, it, it depends what prism you decide to, to look at this team through, right? Um, anytime you win 52 to 17, you know, any game, let alone a Big Ten game, let alone first game of the season, uh, with all the stuff that they had to deal with, right? No training camp, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. No spring. Yeah. No spring, right? What are you complaining about? Um, <laughs> that being said, I would suspect that most 
ardent Buckeye fans have some I, many more concerns coming out of that game than going into that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess it just depends on your perspective on it. Uh, they did a lot of great things, but there are some things um, obviously that they need to work out. And then the over, you know, the one thing I kept thinking as watching that team is, and I hate to do this, but the 2019 team would beat that team in my opinion by two touchdowns yeah. without question yeah they would have yesterday um, that's for sure yeah they would have <laughs> yesterday uh-huh. but you know and okay so you know you're you're taking a one game sample size versus a whole season but I, that being said i just don't i don't know how you would argue that that team is superior than the 2019 team mm. specifically on defense right, right i mean right. i think they the defensive line uh clearly there's some a, a, a dramatic drop off there. Surprising, right? You lose right. Chase Young, like those guys don't grow <laughs> on trees. So, you know, what do you, what do you expect? Um, linebacker play uh, again, it's only going to take me one week, but I'm walking back. It's not even a week, four days ago, what I said about the linebackers <laughs> is a problem. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, they just are, uh, non-factors for the most part uh, although your boy and i'm sure you'll talk about it had a couple nice plays uh in the second half yeah um, but he's not a starter so uh there's an issue there and then you have all the youth in the secondary i mean i think that defense uh i mean there's just no doubt they're going to take a step back uh the question is how much of a step back and mm-hmm. so uh, do I think they'll have any trouble winning all their games no i don't until the playoff but that's again so what you know, Prism, are you looking at this team through? It's mm-hmm. can they beat Alabama and Clemson? And I don't think that team that's on the field today, unless there's dramatic improvements, is is hanging with either one of them. Yeah, that was my takeaway as well. Now, the passing game was exactly what we thought it would be. Justin Fields, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson are every bit as good as I thought they would be. Ohio State is as explosive at those three positions, I think, as any team in the country. Now, I had also expected the the defense to look a little shaky. I said that in our prediction pod on Monday. So I was not surprised to see Nebraska move the ball a little bit and score some points. You've mentioned a lot of new faces in the secondary, for instance, safety Marcus Hooker, slot corner Marcus Williamson. They had their moments yesterday were missed tackles, bad uh, tackling angles. You've already mentioned the linebackers. We'll get to, to those guys in a bit. I thought it was weird, and I don't know if you noticed this as well, but and nobody seemed to be able to figure, none of the beat writers, you know, the guys that have access to the coaches and players, seemed to have any news on why Zach Harrison was working with the threes in the pregame and why he seemed to play sparingly in the game yesterday. I didn't see a lot of Tyreek Smith and PBH. Correct me if if I'm wrong on that. I don't maybe you maybe I just some of these guys change numbers and and you don't realize that they're on the field. But I think Harrison and Smith are your number one and number two defensive ends. And yet it seemed as though Larry Johnson was leaning very heavily for much of the game, certainly early on, on Jonathan Cooper and Tyler Friday at end. And let's face it, those are, you know, they're good rotational defensive ends, but they're your third and fourth best player at that position. And we didn't really hear from Harrison until the second half. He did have a sack. Tyreek Smith, I don't remember seeing or hearing from that from him all day long. I don't remember him making a tackle or having an impact on the game. So I thought it was a little strange that we didn't really hear from Ohio State's top two defensive ends. And yeah, so that was my big takeaway. I think some things left, some some worries on the defensive side 
we got exactly what we expected from the passing game. And then there were some unfortunate questions, I think, from the running game. And actually, that's where I want to start, PBH, as we dive in. I think we were a little underwhelmed by the Ohio State running game. 215 yards on 28 attempts, four uh, rushing touchdowns, but only four and a half yards per carry. Uh, I know it's just one game after an unprecedented layoff, and I know they're both coming off serious injuries, Trey Sermon and Master Teague, that's what I'm talking about. They were both a little disappointing. I, I think you might agree on that. What was your takeaway from the Ohio State running game yesterday? You know, yeah, everything you said, it was underwhelming. I was candidly more underwhelmed with the offensive line. I just mm. felt like those guys would be world beaters. Now, granted, Nebraska, if they do anything well, right, they have good linemen. Right. Uh, their whole off, their offensive line and their defensive linemen are probably better than most. But I was, I, you know, in, in fairness to Teague and, and to Sermon, you know, there weren't a whole lot of gaping holes there. Now, there were some... You know, some some runs where they definitely, you know, they just didn't quite turn it up or they, you know, maybe didn't hit it the hole quickly enough. But mm -hmm. it wasn't like, you know, there were five yard holes that they could just go galloping through, which right. candidly is, you know, what I was expecting from the offensive line. So mm -hmm. um, not only was I underwhelmed by those guys just in general, in fact, I was even kind of thinking maybe, you know, Steel Chambers getting all that playing time in the third quarter, like, yeah, I wonder if he's, you know, put himself in position to start to take more reps because you're right. It wasn't there, but I also place a lot of that on the offensive line. Yeah. So we'll see. Point. And I, you know, the expectations for those guys are, are sky high. I mean, Jesus Christ, every one of them is going to play in the pros. So um, <laughs> I would just expect more from them. And that was definitely concerning, which then led to why in God's name is fields running as much as he did and taking yeah. the hits that he did, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, there's even two or three times you're like, Oh God, that didn't look good. You know? And he kind of gets up just a teeny bit gingerly. And I'm like, this is game one against Nebraska. <laughs> it's not, it's not a good sign here moving forward. No, no. So sermon finished with 55 yards on 11 carries. Now he got a big chunk of that kind of late in the game. It was an 18-yard run, pretty much after the outcome had already been decided. The Nebraska defense was a little tired. Master Teague was equally underwhelming, 44 yards on 12 carries, though he did score two touchdowns. I thought, I, I agree with your observations on the offensive line, but I it did to me seem like both Sermon and Teague were a little tentative, and I wasn't sure what to attribute that to. I, they're both coming off serious injuries, and it's reasonable to expect that both of them may still be kind of feeling things out. I mean, maybe Sermon is still not 100% trusting that injured knee. Same with Teague. Maybe he's not 100% confident in that healed Achilles. And I tell you, you lose a lot of explosion. Well, we saw it with, with Tough Borland, who, you know, he probably wasn't gifted with a lot of ex athleticism to begin with, and we'll get to Borland in a second. But when he came off his Achilles injury two years ago, he was not the same player he was the year before. It's reasonable to expect in the case of Teague, some drop off because of the injury. So I think that probably was a factor just psychologically coming off serious injuries, not quite trusting your body yet in both of those cases. And then Mason, in the case of Sermon, you know, he's still new to this Ohio State offense. This is the season opener off of an unprecedented layoff. I think they're going to be better than what we saw yesterday. If you remember last year when you and I spoke, our very first podcast recording that we ever did a year ago after Florida Atlantic, after that opener, J.K. Dobbins wasn't great in that game. And mm -hmm. you remember 
a year ago, we were thinking, hey, you know, maybe is Dobbins not the guy? And we were talking up Master Teague. Boy, Master Teague looked, he did some things in that game. So maybe it's just kind of opening day stuff. The offensive line, not quite congealed, not not a lot of chemistry just yet. And you got two backs coming off serious inju- injuries who are a little hesitant right now. I, I, I certainly hope and expect that they will get better. Do you, do you see the running game improving? Are you expecting a little more out of these guys yeah, as we go well, along? It'll, it'll get better, but it's not going to be what it was the last yeah. six years with, with that. Do- well, last year with Dobbins and, and then, you know, even going back Zeke, with Zeke. Before, like this, right. those guys just don't have the, that, that type of ability. Right. It's just, it just doesn't exist. So to think that you're going to like, I was even like thinking like, okay, who do these guys kind of remind me of? And I'm like, uh, is it like Pepe Pearson or, you know, right. like, you know, they're just like, they're good backs. They're big 10 backs. And they're, you Boom, know, Heron maybe. Yeah. yeah. But they're not going to just completely, you know, overwhelm you and, you know, change the landscape of a game. Will they get better? Sure. Absolutely. Um, and who knows? I mean, the other thing is maybe Nebraska is not, you know, as bad as, you know, I had suspected they would be, maybe they're, they'll turn out to be a pretty, um, decent team. Um, but I also think we're kidding ourselves if we think we're going to see the production out of these guys like yeah. we saw last year with J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, we're not. We're, there's no 2,000 yard runner uh, no. <laughs> between the two of them. I'm hopeful that Sermon. You know, I, I talked a big game about Sermon. I actually wrote a blog piece for the site last week, and I mentioned Sermon right at the top that I felt like he could have a much better season than people were expecting. I still think he's a more than serviceable option there. I still have hope for Trey Sermon. And I also believe that in order to be a championship level team, you have to be effective, at least effective in the running game. So we feel better to, we also feel like maybe we're going to see the offensive line is going to play better. We're going to see a little bit more from Sermon and Teague. And then, and then as you mentioned, Steel Chambers comes in in, in the third quarter and gives Ohio State a lift. Now, you know, th- those were not garbage time carries. So that was in the third quarter. Now, Ohio State had a comfortable lead, but the game you know, wasn't quite in hand at that stage. And Ohio State was actually buried deep in its own territory. And Chambers comes up with a huge 17-yard run on a third and 14, basically concession handoff by Ohio State, right? They were they were mm-hmm. basically conceding the field position there and, and that they were going to punt. And instead, Chambers rips off a 17-yard run to get him the first down. Now, he hit the hole hard. He looked explosive. That was what was missing all day long from Sermon and Teague. Do you think Chambers now factors in the run game? He might. I, I remember that play. And, and, you know, the other thing is Nebraska was clearly stacking the box. And that play specifically, they had two safeties deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, the corners were playing, you know, 20 yards off um, our wideouts. And the middle was open. So once he hit that hole, there was nobody there. Um and, and that was a big third down, actually. I mean, there was a couple other backbreakers, but I felt like, oh, God, you know, you had him third and what, 16 there, and you let them get that. Right. Um, that that was just backbreaking for Nebraska. But to your point, yeah, absolutely. I think he's going to get more more touches. And, you know, I think you make a valid point about those guys coming off injuries. For sure, that's going to play, play a factor. Um, and so, but at the end of the day, it's going to be running back by committee this year. It's just the way it's going to be. That's just the way it's going to be. You're right. Well, I hope they can find at least one of these guys that they can trust in really crucial situations. There were three third down and short scenarios in the first half. There was Mm -hmm. a third and three and Teague 
I think a, de- a defensive back, one on one, took him down just short of the marker. Look, that's that's if you're at Ohio State, you're the, the tailback at Ohio State, you're the starting running back at Ohio State. Part of the job description there is you got to make that man miss, or you run him over if you're Teague. Instead, he could stop yeah. short. And then there were two plays, two third and one scenarios where Sermon was in, and he got stuffed for no gain. To your point about the offensive line, I think some of that is on the offensive line a little bit. On one of those carries by Sermon, I think there was a missed assignment up front and Sermon really had no chance. But there's got to be – they have to get between the three backs, if we're, if we're now including Chambers in the mix, they have to have a reliable short yardage back there. It can't just be Justin Fields, right, You know, going up the center's butt. They have to have somebody that they can rely on, and I really hope one of those guys emerges. And to your point about Fields – 15 rushing attempts. That's way too many carries. And mm-hmm. I think that's an unsustainable number of carries for fields to average. Would you agree with me there? Oh, yeah. And we talked about it um, multiple times. Like, I just wouldn't run him at all unless it's a, you know, a, a scramble situation. Um now, you know, I don't know where he, you know, it's like that was Meyer's whole offense, the RPO and, you mm-hmm. know, um, Day's obviously running a little bit different offense than that. But I, I just wouldn't, yeah, there, there's no way he needs to be running that much. And by the way, like third and two, I, I don't know why Fields under center in a quarterback sneak isn't a viable play there, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, with that you get four every line, time, yeah. You get four or three every time, right? <laughs> right? And they didn't, they couldn't do it earlier. And it's just like, and you know, I give them props for coming back to it because it's like in the, the history of football, what is the the, the 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 percentage that that play works? It's yeah. like ninety eight percent in the history of football, and yet teams like hand the ball off to the running back on third one. <laughs> Why would you do that? Well, especially with Justin Fields, who is so strong, right? Remember that play? Like I, he, he was. Scr- scrambling and he almost went down and the guy had him by like the ankle and he just broke free from it. Like, and yeah. his, his, I mean, he's a very, very strong dude. And so it's probably tempting to run him, but anything third and three at this point, I would take, I would take a quarterback sneak with Justin Fields and just depend on the offensive line to push those guys back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that might be their short yardage solution. I, I hope that they can come up with something else. I mean, we're, we are talking about Ohio State after all. There's got to be one back but among these three that can be some kind of reliable option for them, some kind of a go-to. I just, I just feel like they're going to have to develop something in the run game. They're going to have to be at least good. Greatness, I, I think, you know, <laughs> after, after watching yesterday – I think that's a pipe dream, but you got to be good, at least solid and a threat to run the football. They've got eight games together. Well, now seven regular season games. If, well, if you can include the plus one, which whatever that's going to be, whether it's the Big Ten title game or you know one of these uh, you know consolation games, they've got eight games to figure it out. And I hope one of these backs can emerge to be a reliable, solid running threat in that offense. Let's move over to the receivers. Now, I mentioned them earlier. We saw exactly what we expected from Alave and Wilson. You know, both of those players have developed. Wilson looks, he looks like he's taken several leaps from last season. We didn't hear a lot from uh, triple distilled smooth Jameson yesterday. What was Our your, <laughs> what was your takeaway from the performance of the receivers? So the first, so, so Wilson and Alave are actually to me, 
very similar. It's like those guys don't even run. They like gallop. Yeah. They glide. They're just, yeah, yeah, they, they literally just glide. Um, and they're honestly, it's like hyperbole, but they're pure joy to watch. Like, holy, both of them are just, they're unbelievable. They're phenomenal. And they both can catch anything, you know, acrobatic catches. It's, it's insane how good both of them are. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so we both were hoping to see a little bit more triple distilled. I, I, I wonder, you know, I think I told Juan yesterday, I was like, oh boy, maybe triple distilled is already in the, the transfer portal because, <laughs> um, yeah. I dude, how are you going to get touches and, you know, the catch that you, you know, referenced from, from, uh, Snick the gym might be the best catch you've ever seen. I mean, his entire body out of bounds and, and all his momentum going the other direction somehow still gets his foot down. Wow. Um, that was crazy. So you just, he's going to get more PT and, 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 and balls thrown to him. So, so is Fleming. Yeah. And so, um, and you know, the other thing, it was like the third, I don't know, it was maybe the third pass and fields was running out to his right. And, he he literally ripped the ball 17 yards off one foot. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that play, I do but I was that. like, yeah. holy shit. I mean, and just threw a strike to Olave, um, just effortless. And I was like, my God, that is just an insane throw. And those guys are just, they're wide open. You know, they're running the slants. They're wide open. Um, they're just going to be a handful for any team. I'm sorry. Um, I agree to stop this. It's, it's going to be an issue trying to stop those dudes. I I agree. I I like the word effortless because to me, that's the way the passing game just as a whole looks, it seemed like anytime they wanted to, they wanted 15 yards in the passing game, they could get it. And uh, the, the totals here, Wilson and Olave, 13 receptions combined for 233 yards and a touchdown and it could have been a lot more than that. Uh, Alavi was he, he got a little nicked up there in the third quarter at the uh, at the end of a, a, a reception and a vicious hit. One of several just vicious hits. Yeah, we need to talk. about We need that. to get to that. We'll get to that later uh, in a, in a bit. By the Nebraska secondary, they were flagged for three targeting penalties. One was overturned upon review, but two were upheld. So two ejections for Nebraska, and then the vicious hit on Olave that did not draw a flag. But we'll get to that in a bit. Overall, uh, the, the receivers did not disappoint, and the the promise there uh, is 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 tantalizing and exciting. And what we saw from Smith and Jigba, he figures to get more opportunities as the season goes along. Julian Fleming, we didn't see a ton of. The, the, they didn't rely much on the young guys. Day really leaned on his veteran guys on both sides of the ball. We didn't see a lot of young guys, and I guess that makes sense. No spring. Only a few weeks of contact practices, an unprecedented layoff. He was going to lean on his veterans yesterday, and that's certainly what he did in the passing game. Wilson, Olave, and Jamison Williams seemed to be out there getting the the lion's share of the snaps. But what little we did see of Smith and Jigma and Fleming was tantalizing. I'm with you. Williams, to me, looks like a track guy playing wide receiver. And Smith and Jigba, especially him, and Julian Fleming look like great athletes who with wide receiver skills. And you wonder how much 
longer Williams is going to be able to hold off a guy like Fleming. Smith and Jigba plays in the slot, so I don't think he's going to be a threat to, to Williams for playing time. But Fleming could be the guy who ends up starting there eventually. So any any other thoughts, PVH, on the receivers before we move over to the other side of the ball? It's it's football, right? And those targeting penalties, I don't know. I just in the play that that Alave got hurt on, that actually didn't even draw a penalty. I know. And um, you know, he basically got knocked out of the game. And I just wonder about that play because number one, the the, the irony is Clat, who I actually really like, uh, right. was just going off and pontificating about you know, his frustration with the targeting rule and, you know, there's not some level of, you know, like a five yard versus a 15 yard. Mm -hmm. And then literally that next play, Alave gets taken out and those guys were launching, you know? Yeah. And I don't think, you know, okay, was it, you know, something deliberate that they were trying to do? But then I also just wonder, I don't know how much longer you can allow that in any form or fashion in football. I just think, they're going to have to just say, look, it, you just have to grab a guy and throw him to the ground. You are no longer allowed to launch. And I'm sure people are just shaking their head. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but, you know, even if, even if, and, and most of those guys led with the shoulder, right? Mm -hmm. Almost every time it wasn't helmet to helmet, even though, you know, you're getting lucky whether or not your helmet's hitting the other guy, but you can't continually just, you know, launch yourself at, cause that's what they're trying to take out of the game, right? right? For player safety. And I just wonder that if it doesn't go the other way, right? Where they say, well, it's a five yard or it's blatant or it's not as they say, you just don't, can't do that at all anymore. You have to grab a guy and throw him to the ground. You can't just launch your body at him. I, I think Nebraska clearly was trying to play. They were sending a message, right? They, they wanted to be physical with Ohio state. They, their offensive line certainly was right. They were very physical. They won the point of attack early on in the game on the other side of the ball. I think they were trying to send a message that we're not going to get pushed around like we were last season. And, and they were attempting to really match Ohio state's physicality. You know, I thought it was funny in the post game. So Ohio state gets the cheapy touchdown to end the game. Right. But they had more time on the game clock than they did on the play clock. And it was fourth down. So they had to run a play. They couldn't just take any. Otherwise, they'd give the ball over to Nebraska. And you want to look, you, you want to run out the clock with the ball in your hands. So they had to run a play. They get the cheapy touchdown by Miller to go up 52-17. And then in the post game, Ryan Day says he wants to apologize to Scott Frost. And I'm like, no, screw that. You don't know Scott <laughs> yes. Frost an apology. Look, clearly his team was coached up to target Ohio State ball carriers at, at the head level, right? Ab above the shoulders. So, okay, look, I, if Scott Frost wants to apologize for, you know, four different really gnarly hits on Ohio State receivers, then we apologize for the cheap touchdown. But I didn't really feel like any apologies were in order as far as Ryan Day was concerned after three targeting penalties uh, on Nebraska. And then a fourth that took out one of our best players. And now Chris Olave's status for Penn yeah. State is in doubt. So I thought that was ridiculous that he said he was going to apologize to Frost after the game for that touchdown. I'm like, look, this is yeah, big that boy was football. A little, yeah, that was a little odd. I did watch that because I know you had mentioned it to me. So I did go back and watch the presser. And, you know, it's like you get it, right? The sportsmanship, you're not trying to run. But, it, you know, then stop him from scoring a touchdown. Stop, and by yeah. the way, he had the second team in there. It was Miller was the quarterback. And, right. just, and the other thing is it does freaking matter. It right? does. Like, 
52, you know, looks better than whatever, you know, 46 or whatever it was. Or I agree. So, um, you know, those, those, those points definitely factor into it. And who knows, he might've had a thousand bucks on the over and, you know, the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I just I thought it was absurd that uh, Day mentioned that he would apologize. I thought that was totally above board, especially if you think of the, the game situation with more time on the game clock than on the play clock. It's fourth down. You have to run a play in that situation. You can't take a knee. Okay. I don't know about you, but for me, the real conversation is on the other side of the ball. And I've been saying this all offseason that, that that's really where most of the big questions for me reside on the defensive side of the ball. And it, let's face it, it, it was a shaky start for the Ohio State defense, especially in my view at linebacker. Now, Nebraska brought an experienced offensive line into the game. They did some creative things in the run game with their quarterbacks. So I, I give Nebraska, I give Scott Frost some credit with creativity in the run game using you know, young McCaffrey as a, as a tailback in that, on that first drive that led to the, the long run. However... With our experience at linebacker, with as much as guys like Borland and Warner and Browning have played, we didn't see anything in the run game that those guys shouldn't have, you know, haven't seen before. And they seem really flummoxed and, and confused and out of position. And early on in that game, I was just really disappointed in the play of the defense as a whole early on. And I really kind of point to the linebackers in particular, Paige, what was your your takeaway there early on in the first quarter by the Ohio State defense? Well, I, I'm on record. I'm all positive for the linebackers. So I don't <laughs> know what I don't know what you fucking saw. I thought they played great. <laughs> no, there. You know what the thing is, man. They're they're just not fast enough, especially Borland. And in the run, you know, in you know some of those misdirections in the RPO. If, if he guesses wrong for one second, the mm -hmm. guys buy him. He's, mm -hmm. he, he cannot recover. And probably the same thing with, with Warner. And I really, you know, Warner's fine. He's, he's going to be, he's going to be okay. But Borland, you know, I mean, he's fine in a traditional big 10 sense, but if there's any shiftiness or craftiness um, and, and he doesn't guess right, it's over. The play is behind him and, if you have to watch Borland five yards behind the ball carrier one more time, right? It's it's like, you know, watching uh, six-year-old, you know, little kids play soccer. And there's just certain kids that are always behind the ball. <laughs> That's Borland. It's That's Borland. exactly what it is. And it's painful to watch. And when they get to the second level, then you see them, you know, rip off big plays, you know, 20, 30-yard chunks. And they did it. Uh, multiple times. Now, that being said, you could also make the argument after, you know, it was 14-14, they made the adjustments mm -hmm. um, and they shut them down. There was no threat of a pass, though, whatsoever. Like, right. I mean, it was pretty much just shut down, shut this down and, and they're pretty much, you know, they've got no other place to go. But it's a it's a major freaking concern. It is for me. I mean, against a one-dimensional offense that doesn't have a ton of playmakers and really didn't want to put the ball in the air, as you've mentioned, Paige, yesterday seemed like a game that was tailor-made for the Ohio State linebackers, right? We don't have to worry about anything in the past. We can just kind of line up and, and tee off and just, you know, run, you know, play downhill and make plays at the line of scrimmage. 
you know, between Martinez and McCaffrey, Nebraska threw it only 20 times. And and on most of these plays, it seemed like every one of the 1,600 people in Ohio Stadium and the millions watching on TV kind of knew what was coming, right? It was yeah. Martinez was, you know, it was a read option look. Martinez was either going to hand it off or keep it. He usually kept it. Same with McCaffrey. So Nebraska clearly wanted to run the ball. As I mentioned before, now they did do some interesting things there. But with our experience at linebacker, I really felt we should have been able to handle it. Between Warner, Browning, and Borland, now they led Ohio State in tackles. They were the, the top three tacklers uh, in the game. But between the three of them, only one tackle for loss. And that was by Warner. I, I saw Browning caught out of position on several plays. At best, you know, I think Borland, what you could say about Borland was just he really had no impact on the game. We saw another play, uh, you know, for the Borland gag reel where he overran a play, <laughs> missing the ball carry. It was it was Martinez on the play. Martinez on a design quarterback run gets out of the pocket. Borland overruns the play, so takes himself out of the play. But in the process, he takes out Josh Proctor too. Yeah, totally. It's and terrible. it's a, it's an easy first down conversion uh, for Martinez. Now a couple plays later. It was third and long, and at this point, you had McCaffrey in the game, and you have Warner blitzing on the play, and he, he completely misdiagnoses the play. He blitzes. McCaffrey, on a design run, shoots right by him and almost gets the first down and third down and 17. I think he gained like 15 yards. Yeah. So it was just – it was not a great sequence for Ohio State. And now earlier in that drive was the only tackle for loss by an Ohio State linebacker and that was Warner he he hit Diedrich Mills in the backfield for a 4-yard loss. I guess you were talking about the yin and the yang of the of the Ohio State linebackers. They are capable of making some plays, but we need better play by the linebackers. I'm sorry, it's just not good enough. And this is the most experienced position group on the team. I think there's a ceiling there clearly. We know there's a ceiling there. We've watched we've been watching these kids play for many years now, especially Borland. I really feel like we're getting to a point very probably sooner rather than later where the coaching staff is going to have to find out what else they have at linebacker. Yesterday, Dallas Gant came in, in the game in the fourth quarter and he was cold from standing on the sidelines all afternoon. And within four plays, he had a pass breakup and a forced fumble. Right. I mean, he's, you know, standing on the sidelines for most of the afternoon. Gant did more in four plays than Borland did all day long. If Gant is the next man up, I want to see what he can do. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. And I think you you made an interesting point when we were talking yesterday. Um, when you were talking about Urban Meyer sticking with guys a little bit too long, when you just kind of felt like um, there has to be a better option on this team. Just, right. There can't be this you can't tell me this is the best they can be and i think we were even talking about jt and you know yeah jt okay. barrett yeah yeah you got jt barrett and oh my gosh guess what you also had joe burrow and dwayne haskins standing on the sidelines and so does it does does day dig his heels in here um with you know just senior loyalty and not using urban's famous saying that you know there's a you know, it's tough life in the city or whatever it is. That's and life in the big go, city, yeah. <laughs> life in the big city and go try some of these younger guys. I think he absolutely has to. I don't think, you know, I think last year they could get away with it because they were so dominant in the yeah. secondary and with the defensive line, but there's no way that they can get away with it this year. Like they need the linebackers 
to be factors. And they're mm-hmm. not even factors. They're, they're almost like negative factors a lot of the times. And it's, you know, like you said, Gant comes in and he makes two plays. And, yeah. he, you know, and, and maybe it's just because we're fixated on it, but you focus on all the negative plays and, you know, okay, they make the, you know, the solid stops here and there, but at, at no point are you just like, these guys can change the complexion of a game. Like, right. Just can't do it. Yeah. When, when an offense, when an opposing offense has its going and we need to stop the bleeding, usually on an Ohio state defense, there's somebody at the linebacker position. That's like, I'm going to put an end to this. And who's that guy among the group? Is it Pete Warner? I, I don't know. I, I, is, is he the guy carrying the big stick among the linebackers? I think he's miscast as the anchor of that group. I think Warner is very solid. I think he's got an NFL future. I think he's a really good strong side linebacker. I, I think he's excellent in coverage. I think he has a niche there. I think he's miscast as the weak side linebacker. Now, the weak side linebacker, that position is normally reserved for the likes of Jerome Baker you know, ridiculous athletes like that, or AJ Hawk. Who else, who else am I forgetting? Are the, the Shazier. Ryan Shazier. Those are the guys that have played the position and have excelled at it, right? And you, you don't have to be a superstar at that position to be effective. Now, Jerome Baker was very, very good and he's having a really good NFL career, but he wasn't a superstar All-American at that, at that position. But the athleticism, the playmaking ability, go back and watch Jerome Baker's highlights from that 2016 season. Watch that interception he had against Baker Mayfield and Oklahoma, that big win Ohio State had on the road against the Sooners. He had Jerome Baker had a pick six in that game. Watch that guy get that ball and run up the sidelines. I'm sorry. Warner's a good, solid athlete. He does not have that same kind of athleticism that a player like Baker does. So I think Warner is miscast as the weak side linebacker. I think he's miscast as the anchor of that unit. I think he's a good, solid player. He's a really good guy as your number two linebacker. He's not your lead dog. And Browning, I don't know what they're doing with him at, at the strong side, at the SAM, because the SAM normally has coverage responsibilities. And if you're asking Browning to drop back in coverage, that is a total waste of his skill set. That guy needs to be playing downhill, getting after the quarterback. I didn't see I, I, I didn't see him lined up as a rush end yesterday, which I thought that's how they would be using him, getting after the quarterback. So I think there's a combination of some of these guys being miscast. They're not They're not in a position where they're able to really use their their strengths, their skill set. And then I think, as t- to your point, maybe we have a little too much loyalty to a player like Borland, who I'm sure has a lot of respect in the locker room. We're talking about a three-time captain. That's a very rare honor. I'm sure he does a lot of things right. He does everything right. But there's a ceiling there. Mm-hmm. We've seen it for three years now. Now going into his fourth season, there's a ceiling there. I think we have to find out what else we have there. And to me, Dallas Gant, he showed me something, man. We got to see what else they have because what they have right now at linebacker is not good enough against Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence. It's not good enough against Najee Harris at Alabama. Those guys would eat these the, the linebackers alive the way they played yesterday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My rant. My rant is over. Linebacker rant is over for this week. <laughs> well, you make a good point, right? And it's it's really you know what 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 are you expecting to see that you haven't already seen before, right? right? 
and now the, the question is, are these guys just not good enough to beat them out? I just find it hard to believe that there's not some players there. And you do see it. It is a position that you do see young kids, you know, I mean, Shazier, you know, yeah. Millen, you know, those guys played early, early, right? probably as true freshmen. And, um, and I'm not saying that they've got a kid like that on the squad, but there's got to be more viable options at this point. You, you just, there would have to be. You, you, this is a special season, right? Didn't Ryan Day say that when the season was postponed? In that Zoom call, he said, you know, I'm very frustrated because this is a special team. You've got Justin Fields coming back, right? You, you've got a special talent in Fields. Guys like Sean Wade, you know, they've come back to win a national championship. That's the goal for this team. That's the standard. That's the way they should be judged. And they're not good enough at linebacker right now. And I think it's disingenuous. I think you're doing your kids a disservice. And I think you're even doing Borland a disservice by, by, by asking them to do more than what they're capable Right, because there's clearly a, ce- a ceiling there, and I thought it was a mistake from the beginning. I thought we got way over our skis with the linebackers this year. A lot of people talking about a lot of puff pieces about on fan sites and stuff about the Ohio State linebackers and their experience, and you know each of them is going to step up and contribute more. I just there's a ceiling there. Now I do think Browning has a niche as a pass rusher, and he's a guy who can make things happen. He, he is capable of creating explosive plays, and that's what this defense is missing for me right now. They're they're a little short on explosive playmakers. We know what Sean Wade can do. We saw a little something from the defensive tackles. We'll get to those guys in a second. Haskell Garrett, how about that guy? Recovering from a gunshot wound. He had an impact, a defensive tackle. Tommy Togiai looked good. But we need some playmakers, and we need at least one reliable, explosive playmaker from that linebacker group. I still think Browning can be that guy, but they have to deploy him in the right way. I, having him out in coverage is a total waste well, of, take, of his skill set. You, you take talent over experience every day of the week, right? right. My good good friend Bill Walton taught me that, right? <laughs> he was actually referring to the Fab Five, right? Uh-huh, you know, right. I'll take five talented freshmen over experience every day of the week, but it's probably part of the reason why they have, there is so much inexperience on that defense that the linebackers are the one place where they do have a ton of experience, but mm-hmm. you just, you, you, it's a known quantity at this point. So right. I agree with you. I mean, you know, it'll probably be a balance. It's not like they're going to make, you know, wholesale changes. I don't think, I mean, they'll, they'll tweak things for sure. But, you know, I mean, we all thought once they got rid of Bill Davis and now Washington came in like, Oh, well, that's the end of that run for these guys. That is not the case. There's right. something there. Right. Um, but if they can just kind of monkey with it a little bit and get more production or, or, they're doomed, you know, in the playoff. Right. I mean, yeah. they will not beat Alabama and Clemson with that, linebacking crew in that defense as a whole. There's just, there's no way. Not the way they play today for sure. And we're getting ahead of ourselves. It's one game. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're right. You're right. One game, long layoff. Now, to be fair, and and we haven't mentioned this yet, Werner is playing a new position, right? The weak side. He's not on the strong side this year. He's weak side linebacker. And Browning as well. He's playing the Sam, move from the middle. So we, we've seen a little, you know, it's well, understandable. So it begs that maybe the question, like you talk about that stuff and candidly, I have no freaking idea what you're talking about, but <laughs> if you have a whole new inexperienced defense, why would you switch positions of two of your most experienced guys? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I questioned those moves when they were announced. That was about a month ago. We found out even Warner himself was surprised at the move to the to the weak side. I, I think Warner could be an effective weak side linebacker, somebody like maybe a Ross Homan, 
but he's not in the same, he's not cut from the same cloth of some of the linebackers we've had there in the recent past. Then I think you're going to need guys like that to win championships. That you need playmakers at that level. And I, I know I'm belaboring the point at this at this stage. Dallas Gant, that's a guy to watch. Watch Gant and let's see if he emerge emerges and becomes part of that inside linebacker rotation with Borner. Pardon, uh, pardon me, with with Borland. I combined the two names. Borland. Borland. Burner. Borland. There you go. Let's if you could combine the two. <laughs> they would be a good player, right? You could have a you could have a really great <laughs> linebacker. Borner. Borner. Burner. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, let's move on real quick to what we saw at defensive tackle. That was a position we were very concerned about, right? We heard that Haskell Garrett and um, Teron Vincent, who, fa- who were going to factor in big at those positions, were you know recovering slowly just as of a couple of weeks ago. Larry Johnson said both of them, he wasn't sure if they were going to be available. Well, they were both in uniform yesterday. Haskell Garrett did actually play and had an impact. He had a sack. He was very disruptive on several other plays. Tommy Togiai as well. Paige, what did you see from the interior of the Ohio State defensive line? Yeah, you said it. They 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 started to bring it um, towards you know the latter half <clears throat> of the second quarter and in and in the second half they they played great. I mean, Haskell was he was he was a force. They needed it too, they right? I mean, they weren't yeah. getting much out of the edge, um, and uh, obviously we just beat up the linebackers pretty good. So those guys <laughs> were were definitely the bright shining star on that defense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Haskell Garrett finished with two tackles. He did have one sack. Tommy Togiai, he finished with three tackles. Now he was in the backfield a lot. He was not credited with a tackle for a loss or a quarterback hurry, but I, he seemed to be very disruptive back there. And I did, I really like what I saw to them. Now let's get Teron Vincent healthy. And then I think you got a really nice rotation there on the interior, you know, guys that, that can actually be disruptive and make plays. We're not just talking about bodies. So then that take that that brings us back to defensive end. And I'm really curious. Nobody that was really frustrating the postgame interview. I think I think Ryan Day talked to reporters for like 12 minutes or something. It was a really short interview, but nobody asked about Zach Harrison. I thought that was huge news. Why was he working with the threes? I'm thinking it's got to be some kind of disciplinary action, right? Or some kind of mild injury. I thought I saw a little brace on his knee. But look, we need Zach Harrison to fulfill his promise as the next great defensive end in line, right? And then, then we also need Tyreek Smith, yeah. right? We need these guys to step up and be the number one and number two defensive ends as they've been billed, right? And as we know they can be. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. It's it, The first game, it's hard because there's all these new numbers and you're trying to figure out who all these guys are. Right. But I didn't even notice it until you mentioned that Harrison – uh, didn't start. I just assumed he did. And then, you know, didn't have my Ohio State program open looking at numbers on jerseys <laughs> to figure out who was who. But um, yeah, well, and you know, it's funny. It's like we need him to fulfill his promise um, as the next great defense. Like we're ordained to go from the Bosa brothers to Chase Young and we need you, Harrison. So yeah, um, let's go, buddy. You got to um, be elite at that spot, right? You yeah, got to be elite. We at- do. Yeah. We need some, to your point, like we need some, some playmakers. Right. Um, and you know, uh, the, some guys will step up for sure as the season goes along, but yeah, right now it's sort of TBD who that might be. Yeah. It's a little weird. I'll be interested to hear what stories come out during the week about Harrison and, and Tyreek Smith, because they, we didn't seem to see a lot of them. I don't think either of them played a ton. I I'm waiting for 
11 Warriors snap count to come out. And I'd like to see how many snaps they both actually played. But I would expect we'll have more of an impact from that position as the season goes along. They were just very quiet yesterday. And, you know, hey, they didn't need them. Ohio State managed to, to you know, to win convincingly, to win comfortably with, without those guys playing a big role. All right. So do you have any other thoughts before we move on to some of the other action around the Big Ten? I want to talk about some of these other games. We saw some pretty big developments around the Big Ten. But before we do that, PBH, any other observations about the Ohio State defense or about the, the Nebraska game in general? No, I think we covered it. I think, you know, um, they answered some questions. Um, but there's also, I, I guess, I guess the overarching, I guess I would ask you, are you feeling more confident or less confident of this team after watching that first game? Well, you know, interestingly, after I kind of slept on it and listen to some other podcasts, you know, some, some other views that I really trust, like Doug Maurice and Bill Landis, guys like that. I actually felt a little bit better about the performance. And, and then I started to feel like maybe I, I had overreacted a little bit yesterday, kind of in the immediate aftermath of the, uh, of, of the game. But I, I suppose it's a good thing. You win by five touchdowns after an unprecedented layoff and a very weird off season and you're opening you look this the opener was supposed to be bowling green and instead you get a big 10 caliber team now we know it's nebraska we know it's not you know nebraska's not uh, we're not talking about tom osborne's nebraska here but they made for a much tougher opening day opponent than a bowling green would so I think it's a good thing when you win by five touchdowns, certainly from a coach's perspective, right? It's a good thing when you can win by five touchdowns and there's still things to work on. And I do think we're going to see some of these areas that were underwhelming yesterday are areas where we're definitely going to see some improvement. And some of these younger players, Marcus Hooker, Marcus Williamson, who are really starting for the first time, I think those guys will improve as the season goes along. So I'm feeling actually a little bit better than I did in the immediate aftermath yesterday, but there's still a ways to go, in my view, before I would consider them in the same echelon as Clemson and Alabama right now. They still have a little work to do in my in my view. How about you? Yeah, no, I think I think that sums it up. Um, in answering my own question, I feel worse about this team than I did on Friday. You did. Uh, you I do. I, okay. Yeah, I I think some of these holes were you know, like running back and, you know, things oh, will be okay. Right. Um, and they will be okay, but I think they're bigger issues, mm -hmm. um, you know, than maybe I was, I was thinking. And so, yeah. And you make a fair point, right? I mean, it is, you know, they didn't get to open up against ball state. So, <laughs> um, but then it also, you know, like uh, whatever, I don't even go down that rat hole, but it is kind of nice. You just got to play good game. You know, it's like you have to play great teams or good teams. You know, you, you can't stack your schedule with, you know, just four absolutely, you know, gimme W's, which is a whole nother topic for another day. But right. um, and they will get better. And, and I do think I guess you have to take that into account. But there are some there are some issues that need to be ironed out. That's for sure. So. In your view, what what are the biggest concerns? Give me your top three in order of, of concern. What, what, what was your number one concern coming out of the game? Well, it's linebackers are number one. Okay. Um, and number yeah, two? I think, I think running back is 
going to be an issue going forward. And then I think just general in youth on the defense, which, you know, probably really does hurt them to not have those four games where they could, you know, rotate, you know, and give some of these other guys a chance and see what they can do. Right. And, you know, you're not necessarily burning a red shirt, you know, they get some playing time. Um, he might not have that or I mean, he's not, and none of them are, they all have to play by the same rules, but, um, they're not going to have that luxury this year. So they're just going to have to figure it out on the practice field, uh, yeah. more so than in game time situations. I feel like there's a, maybe a couple of positions that aren't quite settled yet. I feel like safety is one of them. I, I'm not sure that Marcus Hooker did anything to inspire like a ton of confidence yesterday. I think he was better in the second half, but he missed some tackles. He missed McCaffrey on that long run in the first quarter. He had a chance to bring him down about 25 yards uh, earlier than than where that play ended up, and he missed him. There were a couple other plays where it felt like he either took a bad angle or just you know he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't entering the frame of my television of my picture fast enough, right? To 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 get after a ball carrier, and I wonder if Josh Proctor might might have an opportunity to eventually win that job back. It seems like they're both going to factor in play quite a bit. Actually, now that now that I'm talking about this, we didn't really talk about the secondary. And it, it's probably largely because Nebraska just didn't really test the secondary, right? They really wanted to run the ball, kept the ball on the, on the ground for the most part. We didn't really, they didn't test Sean Wade wisely. Wade was kind of doing his job, shutting out whoever he was covering. We saw a nice little flash from seven banks. Mm-hmm. Right? To, to, to give a little credit to the defense, they did have two pretty impactful turnovers, forcing fumbles. Now, I thought the fumble that Jonathan Cooper caused Cooper didn't do much yesterday, but he did force a big fumble on Adrian Martinez that was scooped up by seven banks and returned for a touchdown. That was the back-breaking play of the game, and the game was over at that stage. So you got to give the credit to the defense, to the secondary in particular, for for turning in that big kind of back-breaking play that really put the game out of reach. That was after what transpired at the end of the second quarter. Yeah, they, it was over. It was over, point. right? I think Ohio State scored on its first possession, and then uh, of the third quarter, and then shortly after, you get seven banks with really the game ceiling play. So that was big, and it was good to see that. You know, he's got a nose for the football, right? Not only he saw the ball, he was right around the football, and he was in position to scoop it up and run the other way rather than just kind of falling on it. it as we talk about a defense that needs playmakers, that's a little short on playmakers right now. Maybe seven banks is one of those guys. We'll need to see him do it, you know, more often than just just you know yesterday, but that that that's pretty promising. So maybe we don't know what we have yet at corner outside of Sean Wade. That is some promising, the promising play by Banks aside. Cam Brown played a little bit, but again, they just really weren't tested. And in the at the safety spot, it feels like that position is still up for grabs. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right, um, and I think it all is going to depend on what they do with the linebackers because those guys are athletes, and you can see like they were taking bad angles at certain points. That's what led to some of those longer runs, you know. And it's just like, look, yeah, we don't want to thwart your athleticism, but do your job, right? Stay in your yeah. lane. Don't you know? Stay in your, you know. Your, don't take these crappy angles because now you're turning a 15 yard, you know, play into 35 yards and you could just see guys doing that. Right. It's just inexperience. And so uh, you're going to have to live with some of that this year. I think Um, so. And, and, but with experience, they'll probably lock some of that stuff down too. Yeah. I wonder if they could leverage 
Josh Proctor, and there was some discussion, by the way, uh, on, on Twitter. This isn't an original thought. I saw some other folks who know the game much better than me throwing this out there on Twitter. But I wonder if there's a way that they could leverage Josh Proctor playing near the line of scrimmage a little bit more and more, that bullet roll, right? Mm. We, we had that player back in the the late 2000s with Jermel Hines. I don't know if you remember him. Hines was kind of a hybrid safety linebacker in Jim Tressel's defense that played. I think they back then they called it the star position, if I'm not mistaken. Could they leverage Proctor a little bit more around the line of scrimmage? His, his you know, He's a physical guy. He's a great athlete. Maybe he plays a little bit more in passing situations near the line of scrimmage to to help give some explosive playmaking ability to that second level that that's really missing that right now. That'll be interesting to see what they do, what kind of changes they make coming out of yesterday's performance. All right. Well, look, I think we've uh, we've really covered yesterday's yesterday's game from every angle. We've we've beaten the the poor linebackers to a bloody pulp. So uh, let's give that a rest. There were some very interesting developments around the Big Ten yesterday, PVH. I want to start with Penn State's overtime loss to Indiana yesterday. That was a, a fantastic finish. Now, Penn State, oh man, I don't know how in the hell they lost this game. If you look at the box score, the final was 36-35. Indiana wins it in overtime. The game, they, they decided to go for two instead of kick the extra point. They go for two. Michael Penix Jr. barely converts. Did you happen to see that play, by the way? I did. Did, did he get in, do you think? Or was he? I did. If, live, I thought no. Same. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, in, in slow-mo and it's that whole thing, right? They called it a touchdown on the field. So they're not going to over, there wasn't enough to overturn it. But right. in real time, I didn't think he, he got that. Oh, man, what a finish. The Penn State now really dominated the box score. If you look at it, the dominated time of possession, 40 25 to 1935. They outgained IU 488 to 211. Now they did turn the ball over three times. That's the great equalizer in a game like that. Uh, I think Penn State also had like 10 penalties. So very sloppy from that standpoint, but certainly a game Penn State should have won. The, the, the play that everybody's pointing to was that last touchdown by Penn State where they're running back could have just taken a knee at the one yard line and they could have run out the clock there. Instead, he goes in, Penn State goes up eight. Now, if you're a Penn State fan in that situation, you're up eight. You've held Indiana to, you know, what, 211 total yards. I mean, really kind of held them in check. They hadn't been able to really drive the length of the field on you all day long. So you have to feel good up eight. And yet Indiana comes right down. They score the game tying touchdown and convert the two the extra the, the two point conversion to send it in overtime. Anyway, huge win for Indiana. Penn State goes down. That takes a little luster off of the the matchup next week between Ohio State and Penn State. What were your takeaways, Paige, from that performance relative to, to Penn State? What did you think? Um, well, it was surprising. I would say that that game winning drive by by Indiana. There were two throws uh, that Penix made that I was like, oh, he got sacked. And he somehow got the ball out and the receivers made two amazing catches. I mean, you're Penn State, you have to win that game, right? right? Like there were 
seven plays that Indiana had to make in order, you know, to, to pull that off. And if, if they don't make, if they only make six out of seven, they don't win. And lo and behold, they made all seven. So Penn State, <laughs> you got to make some plays to win the game. They didn't do it, yeah. you know, in the back of my mind, like you said, I don't really care. I was just thinking, oh, that takes some of the luster off our game there next weekend. So I was, you know, uh, I guess rooting for Penn State, but then once you lose, you kind of laugh. And, um, and, you know, I, I wonder, Franklin, um, you know, I, I don't know that I'm sold on that guy. And, yeah. you know, he's definitely done a good job there. He's definitely elevated that program. He can't get necessarily over the Ohio State hump, which isn't, you know, uh, it's, it's not him that only has that problem. But um, that was a bad loss. And yeah. I wonder if he starts to feel a little bit of pressure. Yeah. Well, you called it. You called the, the the IU upset on Monday. I thought Penn State would. I did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you picked. <laughs> I don't even remember. Yeah, yeah, you, you picked Indiana in that game. Now, I I thought Penn State would win by a hair. I also thought that Penn State would have Journey Brown. Oh my God, I should start listening to myself. Yeah, you really should, man. I, I tell you what. I thought Penn State would have Journey Brown for this game, but uh, we recorded our last pod on Monday. It was announced the following morning that Journey Brown would miss the entire season with some kind of undisclosed injury. I don't know what it is. But they lose Journey Brown. I think he was their best offensive player. We already knew they were out without Micah Parson, their, their, their best defensive player. Yeah. Big loss for Penn State. And then in that game, I guess early in that game, Noah Kane, their second man in line at, at, at running back, goes down with an injury. So Penn State decimated at running back. They really had to rely a lot on Sean Clifford to run the ball. He was actually their leading rusher. He had 119 yards rushing. He threw for 238 yards, three touchdowns, but two picks. Really a game Penn State should have won if you if you look at again and you look at the stat line, but I think you're right. James Franklin tends to lose a lot of these games, these tight games, right? Yeah. Where really coaching can make a difference. And and he lost another one yesterday. So Penn State, Ohio State next week. We're looking at a top twenty-five matchup. I did not see where Penn State landed in the latest AP poll. But I thought I saw like eighteenth or they dropped ten spots or okay. something like that. I'm We'll we'll look at this game later uh, in the week. Yeah, 18th. You're right. 18th in the in the AP poll and 17th in the coaches. I'm still expecting Penn State to play Ohio State tooth and nail. It doesn't really seem to what James to, to matter what James Franklin has at his disposal. Yeah. He finds a way to make these games nail biters. Yeah. So <laughs> I not, saw an early line saying 10, 10 and a half. 10, 10 and which, a half. Okay. Which seems to a lot. Um, yep. No, no fans in the stadium, but like under normal circumstances, there's no way I would bet the Buckeyes minus 10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially with, with some of the deficiencies we've, we've already talked yeah, about exactly. coming out of yesterday's yeah. performance. But okay. We'll talk about that one. We'll later. talk about that one in the coming week. Finally, I just wanted to go real quick over Michigan's surprising blowout of Minnesota. 49-24 Michigan, pretty impressive debut from Joe Milton, Michigan's new starting quarterback. He was 15-22 to for 225 yards and a touchdown. What really stood out to me in this game was Michigan was pretty explosive running the ball. 253 yards on the ground, 8.2 yards per carry. They had runs of 70 and 66. They also had a big return on special teams. The defense had a big uh, strip sack for a touchdown on Tanner Morgan. So a lot of explosive plays out of Michigan that I had not, we have not seen over the last couple of years against a pretty good opponent. Now, Minnesota was playing a little shorthanded as it turned out. They were down their starting right guard and right tackle 
They were down to starting linebacker as well as their starting place kicker and punter. I assume these are all COVID related. They they don't they didn't say why these players were all missing the game, but so Minnesota a little shorthanded, but still got to give credit to Michigan. They they yeah. they bludgeoned Minnesota yesterday. What were your, what was your takeaway from the Michigan Minnesota game? Yeah, I I didn't honestly I didn't see any of it. Okay. Um, and I I did think that they would lose, and I thought there was a good chance Michigan would you know, go three and five. Um, so good, good for Michigan. I'm happy, right. uh, you know, rub yourself in coconut oil. That's, you know, <laughs> let's, let's be, let's be the team that you, we all want you to be Michigan. Uh, I still have bad news for you though. The, uh, Ryan day trains coming for you in November. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. Good. Go win a big road game. Right. Great. Yeah. Win a game that matters. Yeah. I, I, Milton looked impressive. But again, we've kind of seen this movie before. We see Michigan dominant in an early season game that doesn't really matter all that much. I, I, I will give Harbaugh some some credit. These are the types of games he wins and looks impressive. Yeah, he in, does. Right? He does win these It's, games. it's yeah, against right. the top 10. It's the upper echelon teams where Michigan really just has been outclassed. So until they run into a team like that, there's really uh, not a lot to say about Michigan. I think they've got a big matchup in a few weeks with Wisconsin. Who, by the way, looked pretty impressive on Friday night. Yeah, uh, they Wisconsin did. did. It looks like they may they may actually have a quarterback that can do some damage. I was pretty impressed with uh, Graham Mertz, and that's yeah. been the big shortcoming of Wisconsin, right? Is that they haven't yeah. had a guy that can really beat you down the field. So we'll see how things unfold in the Big Ten West with Wisconsin. Doesn't Nebraska play at Wisconsin next week? Oh, oh, that's right. They do. Uh, they do. That's right. Or they, is it in Lincoln? No. And, and by the way, you're going to be playing without half your secondary <laughs> half of thrown out for targeting. That's, That's right. That line. Just it, bet that one right now. Bet so. that one right now. Yeah, that game is in Lincoln, but yeah, you're right. They're getting Nebraska right off uh, right off the Buckeyes. I think, uh, well, I, I for one believe that maybe the Big Ten was, uh, was sending a message there to a, a pretty vocal Nebraska program during the off season, right? Who, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, buddy. Well, good stuff. Hey man, we are right up on about an hour. Uh, I, I know cool. you've probably got other things to do with your Sunday unless you've just got watch any it snow. I'm just going to sit here and watch it. snow. Just <laughs> sit here and watch it snow. Okay. Friend. Uh, well, listen, Hi, brother. if good there's nothing else good to talk to you, we'll end it there and we'll talk later this week about Penn state. You've been listening to the South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.